predicting fireworks tonight. Do you know why? No. No, I'll tell you why. <laughs> uh, welcome to For Fuck's Sake, the one and only... No, it's not the one and only anymore. The, you can't say that anymore. The best, the best Melbourne Victory podcast in the university world here at the Brunswick Sharehouse Studios. My name is Jason. I am your co-host. Joining me are two men who have been bickering all fucking day, and this is why I say <laughs> I am predicting fireworks in our uh, little pre-production Facebook chat group. Uh, we kind of organise the, the daily podcasts and what we're going to talk about and things like this and these two have been going on like an old married couple i'll bring in firstly uh the man of the people buds hello good afternoon jason as dave referred to you the bit of a prickle today is it prickly bit yeah prickly? He's, he's been responding to since about lunchtime with prickles <laughs> and then by about i started winding him up a lot i started really pushing the buttons and then he just started replying with pictures of cactuses he turned it back <laughs> on you he flipped, he flipped it around on you uh dave welcome uh your reply to that? What's what's been going on all day? Oh look, uh, he likes to call himself uh, <laughs> the man of the people, and he's rallying around that little tag and assuming that the people are with him. But uh, I'm not so sure. He's rallying around that tag, says the self-proclaimed, self-proclaimed. <laughs> chief analyst of a fuck's sake. An old man once told me that self praise is flawed, Dave. So. That's all right. Uh, I, won't, I won't give you any more shit about the, the self uh, self. <laughs> yeah, we'll leave that here. We'll <laughs> leave that here. <laughs> he says that every week. I'm not going to do this anymore. <laughs> I just love it too much. Dave did buy me a beer, though. I did come here and we're, we're, we we are... And you're it's a, over now. You're a drinking taco beer, which is, I guess has a bit of a Spanish-Mexican flavour. I'm assuming. How does it taste? It's not Dave? too bad. Yeah. Not too bad. Uh, something a bit different. So, yeah, they, these two boys are bickering. I'm a bit sick. I've got a bit of a nasally voice, which is you know, not too different to, uh, to most weeks. I had some uh, decongestant tablets in my bag, and I was like, Jace, you want one of these? It'll help you go, oh, I'll take anything. Yeah, I'll just uh, take anything <laughs> get it off me today. I need, to, I need to get back to full health. But uh, what a huge show we've got on the, uh, the agenda for you. So big, in fact, we cannot fit it all into one episode. And I'm going to yep. explain how it's going to work in just a moment's time. Uh, I did mention last week that uh, we were in the... Uh, in talks to secure a pretty big guest and uh, that's done. Uh, we spoke today to uh, one of the most influential people in Australian football, Lou Sticker. Um, extraordinaire of, you know, agent, he does agency, like agent And, work, and just to be a, clear, we're not talking about uh, Stephen Lou Sticker of Western Sydney. We're talking about the Lou Sticker. Yeah, if anyone had that confused, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's the Lou Sticker that we're talking to, the agent extraordinaire, the uh, the promotion extraordinaire. The, uh, he's a jack of all trades that had a hand in the formation of Sydney FC in their football department in their uh, in their first year, which obviously won a championship. So there's lots to speak to him about. Uh, that's a, sh- yeah, it's a huge, uh, a huge interview. Probably got about 40 minutes out of him, 35, 40 minutes. So I covered a broad range of topics, um, which you'll hear uh, in towards the the middle part of the show. We do have a game to review, though, the the Melbourne Victory Adelaide United game on Friday night. Uh, Two-all draw. We'll uh, we'll discuss all the talking points from that. Member of the Week returns. And for our uh, Patreon-only subscribers, you're going to be getting the, uh, the match 
preview for the uh, Central Coast game because the uh, the loose stick interview is so big. We're going to finish up the podcast for your for you uh, free folk after the uh, the interview. But if you are a subscriber on Patreon, um, all you have to do is contribute at least a dollar, and you'll get uh, a bit of extra content this week uh, because the the interview, oh, sorry, the interview and the the episode is so big um, with this week and, and loose sticker that we have to kind of break it up. So it's probably a good way to reward some of our Patreons. On that topic, we did have a couple of more uh, contributors to the Patreon this week. Yeah, two two new additions to the FVS Patreon clan. Thank you very much, Chris Damchevsky and Chris Beanhead Bentley. Thanks to those boys. And if uh, it's not too late to, to jump on and get a bit of extra content this week, um, so it's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash for fuck's sake and uh, contribute, you know, as I said, a dollar and uh, you'll get some extra content this week. Uh Music theme. So we've got Lou Sticker on the on the on the show today. And I thought, what can I do for a music theme? He's an Italian man. Italian uh, festival was yesterday. Italian festival, Ligon Street Festival. I missed out on that. I'm, I'm a block away. I had no idea Ligon worst Street Festival. Italian, Italian, worst Italian ever. Yeah, you are the worst Italian Yeah, ever. I've told that story before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I actually think I saw Lou Sticker um, yesterday walking oh, down was the strip he? of Ligon. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I, I thought, what can I do? I'm going to go with another... Uh, Italian type man and that's uh, Frank Sinatra so this week's uh, music theme is Frank Sinatra let's get into what is a huge episode of Avak's sake right now I know I stand in line until you think you have the time to spend an evening with me and if we go someplace to dance I know that there's a chance you won't be leaving with me then afterwards we drop into a quiet little place and have a drink or two And then I go and spoil it all by saying something stupid like I love Time to get into our sponsors, and uh, our first is Ambrosia Fold Designs. Uh, they have been seen on the block and married at first sight. They are found at Unit 1, number 15, Assembly Drive in Tullamarine. They specialise in all things floral, weddings and corporate events. Ambrosia also offer floral workshops, which make great gift ideas. Uh, they are open by appointment. If you call the end today on 9338-3609, mention FVS to receive a discount off your next order. Now, Melbourne Victory, uh, we're staring down the barrel of uh, unprecedented failure in terms of uh, starting off a season, looking like they were going, oh, would have lost three games on the trot for the first time in its history, but uh, wasn't to be. Melbourne Victory ended up getting on the board for season 2017-18 with a two-all draw. Uh, a few talking points from this. I wasn't too happy with the performance. I thought it was lacklustre. I thought we were a bit boring. Uh, but there are a few th- talking points. And Buds, you uh, you did the rundown today. You said it was a pretty positive performance considering the start to the season. We've had uh, one point from, obviously, uh, from the first three games. Yeah, look, we got... From um, two pretty humble beginnings, uh, round one and two, we had something like, what do we have, six shots on target and scored two goals. For for me, that's a positive. I like the first half. Mm. We came out trying some different things in the first half. Um, didn't translate into 90 minutes of that kind of football, but there was enough and there was enough individual performances for some players in this 90 minutes and a bit of character to not drop your bundle and to get back to 2-2 that I did enjoy watching out of this. But I do agree with you. It was a tad mm. boring at times. 
Yeah, concur with all of that. We're building. That's what I'm saying. It's it's a gradual, slow burn of improvement. There was noticeable improvement in our transition play. Still more improvement to come, of course. I think off the ball, we were better again. Um, you know, looking at some of those key stats as well in terms of contests and things like that, I think yeah, there's there's definite signs of improvement and we've talked a little bit about how you know with the returning internationals they're blending back in and it's it's look we, we would have preferred winning or getting points out of those first two but I, I do think there is an upward curve here so you saw signs there absolutely i saw a highlight mm. like a legitimate highlight that yeah. you see played in the season and that was leroy, leroy george's George. ball into besser barisha's header world class yeah this is my gripe though i feel like he's the only one doing anything only one that's really really giving us a positive sign of getting towards a goal. Without him, Barish is not like Barish is yeah. nothing. He can't make goals for himself. Uh, Leroy George is is it for us right now. He's the outlet at the moment and the sole outlet. Mm. And of course that's why I think James Troisi, Costa Barbarusis, the other attacking prongs, the ones who, you know, will beat players, create chances, draw defenders, that sort of thing. You know, we need more of a combined effort, more of a collective effort rather than relying on individual moments of Leroy George's amazing left peg. You said how good can he be in this rundown? How good can he be? I think he can be a top three Johnny Warren medal player. And definitely the best 41. The best number 41 (laughs) Melbourne victories ever had. He's going to go in the Hall of Fame for that number. Um, I think he can be a top three player if you want to say on an individual Mm. level, he's already far and away become our best player so far. Mm. Um, We can get on to a few other names after this, but we'll focus on Leroy at the moment. You want him to have the ball, you want him to get the ball, and you want him to be doing something with the ball. Uh, I think I put something out there on Twitter the other night while we were watching the game that it's almost like on the other flank... Costa's just becoming redundant at the moment because everything's channeling through Leroy. Yeah. Um, Reese is doing a really good job bringing the ball out of defence and feeding it to Leroy. Um, and Leroy is actually skinning players. We don't see that enough in Melbourne Victory. Mm-hmm. He's skinning players. He's doing little things. He's tracking. He's running hard. He's physical. He's um, he's a player that's. Going to get the fans. So just on Reese, you've got he's the new Del Pierre, or you know the the kind of player that Del Pierre was, but a more of a kamikaze version of Del. He's going to cop a few red cards this year for I think sure. So. <laughs> he's lucky not to already have one red card. Really, he should have shouldn't have really played. If you you, know, you could be have a, a bit in each camp on whether he should have should been playing or not um, after the tackle against Melbourne City, but yeah, he, he's a. Uh, He's living up to the hype right now. We all knew that he would. It's just the actual body question. Will he? Will he be able to play out a full season? Look, I think he needs to chill, chill, uh, chill out because we don't have another. Like Donicky's out till like mm. January. So how many re- how many yellows is he already on? Is he on two yellows already? Yeah, two from three. Games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he needs to he needs to chill out a bit because if he gets a a mandatory suspension for five yellow cards, um, it's not going to be good. Yeah, it won't be good if he continues to rack them up at the rate he is because by that 
by that kind of token, he'll be probably missing from one of those games where we, where well, we were losing Socceroos yeah. players. Yeah. So he could be in dire straits there. That's a real issue as well. Uh, we are going to be struggling so much, so much with that. Speaking of our three internationals, Milgan, uh, Teresi Barbarouss, and also throw in Valeri in there because uh, those are guys who have been fan favourites, stalwarts for quite a while. Uh, but there's a bit of a negative aura around these, these four at the moment um, with fans on social media. Valeria, I'm seeing copying a lot of shit on, on Twitter. Uh, Carl hasn't had a good start to the season. Yeah. Carl's first half of the first game was really good, and it's just he's... He's slowed down a bit, hasn't he? He's, slowed, he's either playing injured or it's just he father can't be, time. He can't be injured. Like, yeah, I think it's mm. father time in, in the sense, what, 34 now? Um, that, that, to me, just look, he looked a little bit behind the pace of the game on Friday night. And this is also an issue with Father Time. The uh, the fabled Father Time will be bring back all these players who have been here two or three years ago. They're not, they're not any younger. They're getting older. Yeah. They're, not, they're not bringing much more to the table than what they were doing two years you, ago. You're talking about negati- negativity Sorry, with these mate. guys, though. But Sorry, mate. It's, um, I'm not... <laughs> no. yeah, let's not jump to conclusions. Yeah. Every time we've seen Troisi in his first stint and last season, he's he's taken a while. Troisi's really a slow burner, yep, isn't he? It's absolutely. Yeah. Troisi's a real slow burner. Milligan probably had his worst game I've ever seen him play for Melbourne Victory in any of his stints for us. He was he was not great the other night. I don't know what's going on there. He's had a you got to cut him some slack though. He's had a serious workload in the last <laughs> few weeks and he's probably Looking forward to another huge workload in the next month. Uh, Barbarousas for mine's been been the biggest disappointment. Troisi he laid the assist off and had a good little burst against uh, who do we play in the second game? City in the derby. Mm. Um, he, he he needs he needed to do more the other night. Troisi is a guy with a bucket load of talent who knows he's got a bucket load of talent who just. He's like that guy in indoor that you play with. It. He's by far and away the best player on the pitch yep. and knows it and yeah. just does shit that lays balls off that no one else is going to be able to get to and just like throws his hands in the air. It's uh, He's a bit frustrating. I just had a thought. When Adelaide demolished us in the FFA Cup uh, during the preseason 3-0, those two guys were central you know, and absolutely pivotal, as we know, to any chances we have of winning games. And they were completely overshadowed in that FFA Cup game. Uh, so it, it really is a barometer. And I guess on this occasion, we managed to get a point out of Adelaide. Uh, so that, that's obviously a sign of improvement. But um, yeah, look, I, I'm not too concerned. I think we, we just need to you know, hold tight. I think eventually these guys will come good. I think the the Boo Boys are starting to really grow louder because in these four players who have copped it a lot in the last week... That's a lot of our cap is in mm. these four guys. And if you add Barisha into that as well, that's like, I mean, I know that the two of them are marquees, but most of the money, <laughs> these are these are our big marquee players. They're, they're our big names. Yeah, we're committing a lot to them. Mm. Uh, one person who we refused to write off last week was Bessart Barisha. We said, you know, write him off at your own peril. We learned our lesson last year. I, I don't know if everybody said that. I don't think I said it. I didn't write him off. I didn't write him off. Did you write him off? No, certainly not. Yeah. I, said, I was the one who said, write him off exactly. at your own peril. So we're, we're, he always comes good. And I've refused to write him off. I'm, I'm in yeah. his corner all year. Yeah, well, you, you can't write him I off. Anymore, no. he, uh, he showed you. Yeah, I just need it. to sit in the corner with yeah. Bess. But how yeah. good was it? The yeah, ball, well, the finish. Um, it was so clinical. And 
geez, you know, at that particular time, I thought we've clicked. Here it is. And then, of course, uh, well, let's just say Mad Bar- Mad Barisha is good Barisha. Yep. Um, he, or is it because he did technically push a referee? <laughs> is that good? <laughs> More can come of that, actually, too, isn't it? Isn't well, I'm doing a search right it now. Can't. It's currently it's 5:54 p.m. on Monday. Usually, they probably release their findings by now. And he got a yellow card. He got anyway. a yellow. Yeah, yeah. So unless they're going to break their own rules, he yeah. can't get any further punishment. And Kev was on the radio this morning. Um, Firing it back at the fourth official, putting the acid back on the fourth yeah. official. He touched him. Yeah, yeah he touched he him did, first. Definitely. So, yeah, yeah. He so Ur- Ursan Gulam came out before the game talking about how Bessart is a good player for the A-League. Mm. Um, I reckon that would have got stuck in, in Bessart's craw and, you know, I think he was really fired up. I was just watching him chase down the goalkeeper and chase down defenders when Adelaide were, mm. you know, having goal kicks and, and playing through defence. Uh, That's the best art we want to see. A person we probably did ride off last week and the week before that and the week before that was Jai uh, Ian, but also Mitch Austin, who uh, who showed us that uh, he was you know, he scored a goal, so he showed us really. Uh, I'm not willing to say all is forgiven. Well, that was the start of mine and Dave's robust discussion today. Ooh, yeah, where Dave's firmly in the haha, eat some. Yeah, he, he was giving nah, you. No, no, no. It wasn't ha ha eat some. It was like <laughs> you made a rod for your own back with the calls you made last week. It just came back to bite you. That's all. That's uh, did that's, it come that's back his to business. bite? Or was it, was well, it, it was, he, got, he got the he got the first point of the season. It was opportunistic. He yeah. was with a, his opposite foot. It was a rebound off the keeper, and the keeper was on the floor. Yeah, look. I'm surprised Mitch didn't just pass it straight <laughs> to the keeper. Did you guys think we were going to get an equaliser no, during watching done. the game that time? Neither did I. No, yeah. no and it was good work by Bessart. It was. The, the yeah. touch and the bring down and firing it off. Are we going to um, talk I mean, about... All right, this, this, but this time it worked. There's, I'm going to say <laughs> eight out of ten times it's not going to work. There's, there's Kevin Muskett's predictable... Uh, these predictable substitutions are not going to work. Well, let's talk about the, the substitution because the hysteria in the um, in the fuck populace. Let's mm. bring that term back. And I put my hand up. I was part of that. Yeah. I was like, what? Yeah, they went nuts. <laughs> they went nuts when Austin was subbed. Okay, Leroy George has been here for two or three weeks before the season. It's his third game. When's he ever going to get match fit? And when can he run out ninety minutes? Because yeah. he was far and away our best player, and he took him off for Mitch Austin. And boy, oh boy, did. The yeah. notifications went bananas. It's a meltdown. Well, was that also the one where the club posted a photo of Thomas Sting? It is. Yeah. <laughs> and then so I- it kind of went double double nuts because uh, the club are doing these graphics now where they uh, where they put substitutions on and they said Mitch Austin coming on. Uh, and we Leroy were first George. there. We were first <laughs> to tell the club they were wrong and before the club had even deleted it, we'd saved it and yeah. redistributed it. <laughs> 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 Gotta love the snipping tool. Yeah, yeah. So Negro didn't get another. Go. He didn't get a go, did he? No, nah, free no. Negro, but he free made Negro. bench. But you were free. talking about things out of ten before. Yeah, one or two times out of ten, perhaps even zero point three something at times out of ten, is Vince Lee are going to score mm. twice in a game and two bangers well, from outside had, the box. It's, he's never scored a brace in a game. Would have, wouldn't have thought he scored like before. Then he scored four goals yeah. in twelve years. So yeah, that happens like a once out of two hundred. Yeah, he's got the goal. Um, do we do we dwell on the fact that a, a former old boy came back and hurt us that bad? Probably not. Well, no, because there are so many old boys who play against us these days. It's it's <laughs> a very, Newcastle team. It's a very vuck thing to happen to us. Yeah. But it was yeah. just it was really bad defending for the first one. 
Reese gave away an unnecessary foul, took the free kick early, and he had. If you want to replay it, anyone and go have a look how much space Vince Lear had at the top of the box it was ridiculous. Paid him no respect, but given the odds and given the statistics over the years with Vince Lear, mm. is he the guy you close down in those set piece situations? No. no. I just yeah. don't know how the hell he's got himself a starting spot in Adelaide's team. Mm. I just hard work, hard yeah, work. It's, it's literally what it is. He. He wrote his own application to join Adelaide it's when an absolute Wellington fairy. discarded it's him. It's an A-League fairy tale. Fair play to him. I mean, obviously, it really hurt to see him do that to us, but it's a good story. Yeah. It's kind of like these players score against us, or if they haven't played for us, they'll score against us and we'll just sign them. That's what happens in the, the Champions League back a few years ago. Uh, Kevin Musket's tactics, what do we make of those? Uh, he's obviously... He's under some kind of perceived pressure, I think, from the outside. Internally, probably not. Uh, but he's being watched pretty closely by the fans and his tactics uh, do seemingly make all the difference. He brought on Austin, which which worked, I guess, but uh, he probably got lucky with that one. I think Mitch, fair play to Mitch. Yeah. Did all right. <laughs> Did all right. Scored. Good on him. He actually shows that he's not bad in front of goal. He's scored some late goals like... He's, I think all his goals he's scored have been crucial late goals. So really, he should cut inside more. Well, if you if you look at the way we were attacking when that goal came, we were actually attacking through the middle. We mm. spent about five, ten minutes going through the middle. That probably would have infuriated Kev. Inf- infuriated Kev that we deviated from the plan. But that's about the only time we looked good in that second half. Uh, Chief Analyst Dave, did Mitch Austin play a similar role at Central Coast to what he plays for Vitry down the wing? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay. He he was a wide player, but, uh, but but he did you know get on the score sheet quite frequently yeah. when he was at Central Coast. I guess because there's, there's probably less. Well, when I say frequently, you know, I think he got four or five goals. Yeah, in one but season. he definitely yeah. scored against us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Geelong. Because I think Rudy Etzel, uh, who's been on the show a few times, was saying to me maybe he's being misused, but uh, he should be playing more centrally. Maybe he's a, a substitute for Barisha. But I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to flinch, uh, put my hopes on Mitch Austin playing centrally well, yeah, in the last five uh, minutes of a game. I mean, Cabbage last week, what did he say? Are we predictable? Yeah, yeah. And maybe it is a case of having to change tack sometimes, mm. switch the flanks, play centrally sometimes, be dynamic. Well, I think as well on the on the telecast, uh, Simon Hill and, and Andy Harper were, were starting to talk about that predictability. So it's it's getting... Coverage now on a mainstream level, so it's not just us banging on about it. Every yeah, week. no, they're listening think, to yeah. they're listening to us now. Yeah, they're not, probably not listening <laughs> the big, to us the big per pundits. Se. Yeah, but no, they're they're, they're starting to recognise <laughs> the issues that the the VAC have. Um, just on that as well, because you said that Leroy George hasn't played out um, a full game. We signed Kenny Achu. Did you catch the news during the week that Kevin Musket said he's a long way away from playing? I didn't. No, yeah, I missed that story. He's uh, he's not fit. It's a maxi buy stuff all over yeah. again. So we sign yeah. a guy who's just finished his season, who's n- not even going to be looked at till after Christmas. Yeah, for months. Mm. That's really disappointing because he well, ne- he needs to. I feel like he needed to contribute almost immediately. Yeah, but he's a squad filler. He's he's on loan. He's probably getting paid mm. the minimum wage. Um, interestingly, but with that said, though, you thought he could contribute to this team. Like he he's he's given his pedigree and what he's done so far in the NPL. It's not drying him. Chipping in for a few goals here and there. It seems like he could have contributed meaningfully for, to this to yeah. the side. I mean, we've discussed the fact that if he's ever going to play a role, it'll be Barisha's role. Yeah. And, you know, it's probably the case that Kenny is literally here as a worst-case scenario signing. Barisha mm. goes down, we have an extra body. 
big jump from top of the state leagues to to yeah. professional every well, day. Some would have you believe that it isn't, but uh, I tend to think it is. Professional football is a different story yeah. altogether. Yeah. Uh, I think that's probably all the points we've got from this week. Uh, we'll jump ahead to the Pacific Medal Group uh, Balls of Steel Award, uh, as voted by the fans on Facebook and Twitter on For Fuck's Sake. Um, if you're not already a loyal follower of us on those social media platforms, make sure you get on there. Uh, this week, um, I know Leroy, Joy, Leroy George featured in the votes, but he wasn't best on ground, was he? No, Reese Williams smashed it. Mm. Um, our, uh, our loyal faithful uh, recognising this guy's skills. Reese Williams with the three. Leroy came in at second. So your top two has been Leroy and Reese both games. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, Bessart Barisha's chipping in with one this week. He's back on. Deservedly so for Reese. Uh, I think he's been an amazing leader so mm. far at the club and, and really putting his body on the line, which does uh, make me nervous a little bit. But I really like the way he's playing. And he's, he's playing on the edge. So, as yeah. we've covered, you know, he might need to tone it down a little, but that's the player he is. So, after three games, you've got your top two is uh, Leroy George on eight votes and Reese Williams on seven. So, I think it's going to be neck and neck between them. Interesting, isn't it? Two completely new players. It's unreal to see that. Compared only, to last season. If only the players who have been with us for a while decide to uh, pick up their socks a little bit because we need those guys as well. Um, so, that's that. Let's yeah. get into member of the week. Yeah. What do you do, you know? Um, when the moon hits your eye like a bigger pizza pie, that's Mehmet Jurakovic. Putting the ball at the back of the net. When the world seems to shine like you've had too much wine, that's Mehmet Jurakovic. Thanks to uh, those who submitted their member of the week suggestions via Twitter. I was a little bit, uh, let's say. Yeah, kind of bereft of ideas this week. It was quiet. There wasn't too many yeah, was dickheads quiet, out this week. It was a quiet week for Mehmet's. Uh, Tim Cahill didn't do anything, except he did ride in a, a helicopter to the Phillip Island Grand Prix last night, which I thought was a bit of a dickhead move, but it was Tim Cahill's, <laughs> which I guess you can be afforded those kind of uh, conveniences. Was it with uh, Top Travel? No, they took it. <laughs> <there>. Probably. That's <laughs> 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 oh, my sickness coming out. Sorry for, uh, for coughing in everyone's ear, but um, yeah, he probably should have stumped up. Well, sh- they should have stumped up the cash to, uh, to Absolutely. fly. Absolutely. By helicopter. Uh, while I cough my guts up, does someone want to uh, award the amendment, Dave? Yeah, look, it was a bit of a tough week, but the, the one of the main controversies this weekend in the A-League was the video-assisted referee, the VAR, the VAR, sponsored by McDonald's. Oh, yeah, it is sponsored by McDonald's. Which I actually it? think, I wonder how much of this and the almost unanimous support that the Fox Sports pundits have for VAR you see in the aftermath of games where the VAR played a role you see them all saying hey it's here to stay don't argue with the progress right and and this is this is the way things are I wonder how much of that has to do with uh, the fact that you know Fox Sports obviously have a a role to play in all this and and the the money and, and VAR and everything like that for me um and the reason why we're awarding it a member of the week is not because the wrong decisions are emanating from VAR results. It's just, and it's not to do with tradition versus progress. It's more about how it kills the moment, the singular moment of joy that you can get in a football match. You're at a game, a goal happens, and it might even be disallowed in that particular moment, but that's the sort of 
I guess, spectacle and the natural state of affairs with football. You take the good with the bad, offside calls. You know, how many times have we all celebrated a goal and then we all look over and see the flag? Mm. That sort of thing you, you kind of become accustomed to. As soon as you create this scenario where someone up there is making a decision, two or three minutes later, it gets communicated down to the referee and, and the whole thing changes. It's just really unnatural. I don't think I'm in favour of it for those decisions on the pitch in terms of referee decisions. I think it should be used for goals. Um, but I, I think fucking around for three minutes while you decide whether yeah, yeah. this is a red card or a yellow card is uh, just a bit annoying. You can make those, those decisions on the pitch. I think it was uh, Ben Williams on Twitter made a really good point that if you are going to use it, and that's not Ben Williams, the former referee, uh, Ben Williams, Vuck fan, um, basically said, you know, it should only really be, new, be, be used in cases of mistaken identity, things like that, things that, mm-hmm. you know, really can be corrected. So Fox Sports telling us that it's here to stay. Um, so the, the situation this week was with Massimo Macarone, a pretty nice goal. You know, he ac- absolutely schooled two Newcastle defenders, put it in the back of the net, great goal, offside. And the VAR reversed the goal and uh, all hell broke loose. It was great seeing Ross Aloisi crack the sads, though, I have to say. That was one good good thing to come out of it. <laughs> Happens every week. Yeah. Uh, so VAR, it's been a contentious issue uh, ever since it's been brought in late last season. It uh, looks like it will continue to be a contentious decision. Do you guys like it? Do you want it? I like when it's overruling. I think when it's ruling on a goal, whether that's correct or not, I think that's fine because I think that's that's really shit. If you've scored a goal, then you've scored a goal. But that's what happened here. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't like that particular part right, of it. Okay. I, I, don't, I don't want goals reversed. I want, I'm happy with goals being reversed and you know the right decision coming through. I'm not happy with those those little decisions on the ground over tackles and, sh- and stuff like that. So in this case, where the main controversy blew up mm. around Macarone's goal, you're happy with that? I'm fine with that. Uh, I'm talking about other points of VAR. All right. And there was, it happened in the Melbourne oh, Victory game. It went on for too long. Yeah. So yeah. pretty slim pickings this week uh, with the, the Mehmet yeah, not even scenario. We, not even we can decide whether yeah. that's a good thing or, or bad thing. We just, we're just... You know what? They can't, they can't all be golden winners every week, can they? Uh, that's member of the week. Let's move fucking on to the next all one. All right. <laughs> Start spreading the news. I'm leaving today. I want to be a part of it. New York, New York. These vagabond shoes. Are longing to stray Right through the very heart of it New York, New York I want to wake up In a city that doesn't sleep And find I'm king of the hill Top of the heap Sponsor of Avak's sake is the Owl IT services. You can contact Pete on 1-800-THE-OWL for any help with anything IT related. That's 1-800-843-695 because at the Owl IT services, they give a hoot. 
We are on location today, uh, for fuck's sake, uh, on location in the Tribal Sports Group offices. I dare say if these walls could talk, they'd have a few stories to tell. So we're in the boardroom at the moment. Is that right, Lou? Yes, uh, the welcome. Uh, so we're in the boardroom. I think right now we're looking, I'm just looking around as uh, jerseys on the wall, LA Galaxy, uh, Juventus, Spurs, Spurs Chelsea. Chelsea. Also a photo of, of Lou with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Just saw so, that. Uh, <laughs> Dwight York as well. Uh, we don't care about Dwight York too much over here. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd say there's a few stories to tell in this in this room, and uh, we might try and squeeze a few out of today's guest, which is, of course, Lou Sticker, one of the most influential figures in Australian football. If you haven't heard of him, you definitely have seen his work. He's a jack of all trades. He was a founder of Carlton FC back in the NSL and brought uh, was brought on board in Sydney FC's infancy to create their football department. He's a noble player agent as well. He was known for bringing the likes of Alessandro Del Piero and Shinji Ono to the A-League. In addition to that, he's also been behind the Australian tours of international football heavyweights such as Juventus, Liverpool, the MCG, and also Celtic FC, just to name a few. Am I missing anything else? Uh, that's a good, good start. Yeah. yeah. Good start. Great. Uh, so you're a man who obviously does a lot. We're in the offices at the moment in Collingwood. Uh, what would you say your, your job at the moment is? You're a promoter, you're an agent... Uh, you've obviously also worked behind the scenes in a football department. What, what's your day-to-day job at the moment? Well, our, our group is, um, we, we have three or four pillars of the business. It's, uh, it's a marketing, sports marketing company. Um, our foundation was uh, back in 2000 and uh, predominantly as a, a licensed player agent. Uh, then in 2007, I got my second license, which is the FIFA match agent's license. And my first foray into to games was um, arranging for LA Galaxy and David Beckham to come out. So that was a pretty good way to start that part of the business. Uh, some of the other pillars of our business at the moment, we have a marketing and media division that does a lot of social media originally for football clubs. And that, that sort of broad, broadened out to uh, the general market. Um, uh, we, we used to uh, do the uh, social media strategy for Juventus in this part of the world. We still uh, run their Facebook page in Indonesia, believe it or not, where they have a massive support. Um, we've done activations for companies like Jeep, surrounding tours. Um, and the last pillar of our business is we run a conference called Money in Sport, mm-hmm. which is starting to gather some momentum. That is just not football. It's uh, sport across the board. So that's really uh, fun watching how all the sports uh, interact. Uh, but that's our day-to-day, so it's uh, pretty much 24-7 sport. Ooh. Lou, um, I want to take a little step back into time. Um, people often talk about the A-League as being the moment when Australian football hit full-time professionalism, but what probably uh, a lot of people wouldn't know is that Carlton, during the NSL days in the 1990s, went fully professional for a period of time. And we've seen some sort of commentary in the media and from other people here and there that have suggested that Melbourne Victory was in some ways an evolution of the Carlton template, if you like. Uh, how much of that would you say is true and did you have any role to play in those early stages at Melbourne Victory? Well, look, let's start with Carlton Soccer Club. We, we started in uh, 1997-98 season, uh, four weeks after we kicked our first ball uh, in the NSL. Uh, there was the infamous Australia versus Iran game at the MCG and um, we uh, came close to qualifying and uh, that was all taken away and certainly that was uh, 
an interesting time to start a new sports club in a sport that was just about ready to explode and uh, before our very eyes that dissipated into thin air. Um, yes, we did start in, in, in partnership with the Carlton Football Club. We were professional from day one, meaning that our boys uh, trained. Um, they didn't have to work part-time or full-time like some of the other uh, clubs had to, uh, some of the other players at other clubs. Um, we decided right from the outset we'd run a professional program. Uh, and that it sounds interesting and easy to say uh, we'll be full-time, but to actually create a full-time uh, workload is not that easy, so it was uh, it was a very much trial by error. Um, but we had a fantastic environment. The football club in two thousand decided to move the soccer club on for their own reasons. One was that John Elliott was uh, let's say at the end of his uh, reign at Carlton and was racked with political uh, infighting. Two, we had. Issues like the cricket pitch in the middle of Princes Park, which was a, a festering problem. So, look, the opportunity came for uh, another group of investors to purchase the club, which they uh, did. Um, I stuck out with them for another six to nine months. Didn't feel that that was the plan that I'd set the club up with, so mm. I decided to move on. And unfortunately, 12 months or so later, the, the club um, uh, basically fell over. Um in hindsight, if there's a couple of things that come to mind, one is we started a great club, a professional uh, environment in a league that was at the end of its tether. It was uh, We didn't know it then, but David Hill had promised a new vision for the sport. It didn't eventuate. We had the Channel 7 saga of buying the rights and then parking them. So we had, uh, it's in many ways... We uh, we had problems 20 years ago that are starting to surface right here and right now in the A-League, which is politics, state federations, television coverage. It seems that the the dialogue isn't too much different from 20 years ago, even, the, even though the game has moved on a, a real lot. It's like history repeating. <laughs> it is, in a way, some, and it scares me. Now, to, the, the final part of did I have anything to do with uh, the creation of Melbourne Victory? Absolutely not. Um I'm really proud that some of the people that were pivotal in the formation of Melbourne Victory, like Tony Ising, were Carlton supporters and whatever learnings he took from Carlton and applied it to his victory model, uh, the credit must go to him and others that backed him. Certainly, I, I can't put my hand up and say that uh, we have any uh, influence or any credit in that regard. I take a lot of pleasure in seeing football in this city being supported by the masses, and that's what we actually set Carlton out mm. to do, was is to appeal to people of all different backgrounds, irrespective of who you may have uh, supported in the past or what your ethnic origin might have been. Uh, Carlton was Carlton Soccer Club was set up to uh, be a club for all people, but we did make some mistakes, and in hindsight, it's easy to understand that now. Uh, calling it Carlton Football Soccer Club... Uh, and associated to the Carlton Football Club in a city where uh, nine-tenths of the city <laughs> supported other AFL clubs was probably not yep. the smart thing to do. Um, so, uh, you know, there are some learnings from that that uh, have stuck very close to me. And uh, whenever I'm giving advice to anyone that cares to listen, 
I'd say be very careful about how you go about branding yourself and what your association is with with any particular group. Uh, Melbourne Victory got things right right from the start, and that is is a club for all people. And Melbourne Victory are very very lucky that the city of Melbourne and the football fans of Melbourne flocked the first time they were given the opportunity to support a new club in a new league. Melburnians spoke with their feet, yep. and the rest is history. I think Collingwood tried to do an association with their football club as well, didn't they, back in... The Warriors? Yeah, Warriors? well, I know yeah. that was 12 months before Carlton Soccer Club, yeah. and that was a little bit not... not uh, ours was a clean start-up, whereas yeah. theirs was Heidelberg Soccer Club yeah, in drag, okay. yeah. as they used to call it. <laughs> so, so uh, And look, I, I was pretty close to some of the people behind Collingwood, and uh, they had a magnificent crowd the first game at Victoria Park. I think it was like mm. 15,000 people. They had to throw the gates open because they, they couldn't cope with the rush of soccer fans that tend to rock up at the last minute, as we all know. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, interestingly enough, by the time the second came, game came around, people uh, stayed away because they realised it wasn't a new club. It's, it's almost... Uh, it's very intriguing for me to see, you know, when the A-League started... The Socceroos, the, the the German World Cup qualification, and the timing of all that, and what you just talked about with the Iran game failure, and just how sliding much doors. it would have been hanging by a thread. These these little sliding doors moments. How Two thousand and five is exactly that sliding mm, yep. uh, moment. I was sitting in the stands at ANZ Stadium with another eighty four thousand people, and I'm thinking to myself, "This is Iran all over <laughs> again," and. But the coin flipped on the other side and we qualified and that probably gave the sport and the A-League an impetus that we may have experienced eight years before, but we didn't. So it's no point in talking about it. Can the soccer or can football in this country take a hit if the Socceroos don't qualify? Now, yeah. absolutely. Because why? Uh, it's a very, very good question. Yeah. The, the, the scenario is completely different. Mm-hmm. Those days we played in Oceania where we had one big game every four years. If we fail to qualify for a World Cup now, it doesn't matter. It'll hurt, but it doesn't matter because a month later we start qualifiers for the Asian Cup. Mm -hmm. And our women, we now have a a, a fantastic uh, extension of the game in our women's league Mm -hmm. and our uh, Matildas and... When our soc- uh, young Socceroos or our Oligroos or our Joeys don't qualify, it doesn't matter because another branch of our football family uh, is involved in world football. So what we have today is we have a true football industry. When we were in Oceania, we didn't have that. Now, they used to say, be careful what you wish for. We're in Asia. And what comes with being in Asia is, is that it's bloody competitive. And that's what we're feeling at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think Tony Ising, who's a good mate of ours, will enjoy that uh, reference as well. With uh, oh, just a little, <laughs> yeah, he'll enjoy that. <laughs> that'll that'll stroke. So there you go a little. You're fairly entrenched in the culture of Melbourne. Obviously, you're part of Carlton. Uh, you know, you've got your offices set up here, and I'd say you're you're a patriotic Melbourne Melbourne man. Absolutely. But yet you uh, you helped Sydney FC set up their uh, their football department in Year One and uh, led them to a championship. How'd that all come about? Okay. Um well, obviously, we work in sports, so not supposed to uh, have a spot, soft spot for any one club. You know, it's uh, you respond to uh, businesses as the phone rings. Uh, interestingly, I got a phone call from a really close friend of mine in Sydney called Walter Bunyo. Uh, Walter was uh, the CEO of uh, Arnott's at the time, 
and he rang me to say, listen, I've just walked out of Frank Lowy's office. I've just been made inaugural chairman of Sydney FC. I want you to build our club for us. And I thought, wow, you know, this is, a, this is crazy. Yeah. So uh, he basically said, Lou, you've got carte blanche. When we say build our football club, our football department, that means coach, assistant coach, boot starter, doctors, and, of course, players. So I set about building a, a, a plan, uh, building a bit of a wish list. I went on a couple of overseas uh, uh, fact-finding miss- missions. I interviewed a variety of coaches that were public at the time and some that ha- never even were made public. But Roy Hodgson, um, uh, Harry Redknapp, uh, Ari Hahn, and obviously Pierre Libarski, Gianluca Vialli, and we ended up with Pierre, obviously. Yeah. That's, that's the obvious one. Was that tougher in terms of – you set up Carlton um, Soccer Club. How, how was the difference in terms of setting up the, the NSL team compared with the A-League team? Big difference. Mm. I started the Carlton Soccer Club, um, but I was dealing with a, a, a group of individuals, John Elliott, Sam Smorgan, very, very mm. successful people whose true love was Carlton Football Club. Yeah. The soccer club for them was an extension. It was an opportunity to utilise Princess Park. It was a, an opportunity to extend the Carlton brand into mm. other sports, uh, pretty much like what tr- Eddie Maguire is trying to do with Collingwood and the netball and what a lot of other clubs around the world do. You have a core brand and then you you tend to roll that out into mm. other facets of sport. Um, but the reality was was, was that um, we were tenants at a football st- uh, an AFL stadium uh, cricket was played on there um, in many in many respects. Whilst we were very much part of the Carlton family, we were still second class citizens. Like the cricket pitch was more important mm. than what uh, soccer was ever going to be. Um, we still get a bit of that. We still now, get a bit of that now, and it rubs me the wrong way. It gives me the irrits. <laughs> but uh, but the difference with Sydney FC was is that uh, the chairman of this new club was a lunatic football fan like myself. We yeah. have many shared uh, loves in sport and, and football is one of those. So we have a common uh, love of one particular club overseas and we've gone to a couple of Champions League games together, uh, finals actually in Berlin and Cardiff. So I've probably given away who I support. But uh, <laughs> so, so, so Walter said, Lou, um, uh, here's your budget. Go out and do what you've got to do. So I uh, had an incredible time um, and we set about building a squad that was going to be competitive, but one that was also going to attract the fickle masses of uh, sports fans in Sydney. Mm-hmm. The uh, bling. And that's where the whole bling came into it. We signed uh, Dwight York, which uh, I still keep in touch with Dwight today. And uh, I look at his jumper now and I, I just can't believe that here we had a guy not far out of Man United uh, playing here. Um, a, a German World Cup winner as coach. Uh, we had a, a bunch of returning Socceroos. We had some of the best young talent. We had a few foreigners. We had a, a, a couple of uh, players out of the state league, and we we put together this mix, uh, and it worked fantastically well. We qualified for the uh, Oceania uh, uh, Champions, uh, and then uh, went on to play at the Club World Championships in uh, Tokyo uh, against Liverpool against um, uh, Saprissa from uh, Costa Rica. Uh, just an absolutely ridiculously uh, incredible experience. So, um, and, and more importantly, uh, Sydney went on and, and won the league. Yeah, huge, huge achievement. 
So you mentioned Dwight York just there, but you've actually also masterminded several high-profile A-League transfers, Del Piero and Ono, probably the big-ticket ones. Can you describe that process for us? And would, is it a little bit different in 2017 with Australia almost in some ways being priced out by China in terms of getting the real cream of the crop of the foreign marquee talent? Okay, well, look, if I can go in some sort of a chronological order, straight after Dwight York, within the first season of the A-League, we people might forget, but we signed a big name, not so much in Australia, but a big name globally in Kazu from Japan. We signed him for a, uh, a three-month stint where he played for Sydney and then appeared for Sydney at the FIFA World Club Championship in Tokyo. That was a deal that was structured around uh, a marketing deal with Dentsu, who had no team playing in the Club World Championships. And, and we, were, we managed to do a, an innovative deal where we could get this, the David Beckham of Japanese football to play for Sydney and the knock-on effect of that was incredible support whilst we were in Japan, but the goodwill that that created uh, set the tone, in my mind, about um, trying to do some of these international uh, deals because there were more things to be gained other than just what happens on the park. The next big one was obviously um, Alessandra Del Piero. Um, at the same time, Shinji Ono. The reality is bringing these big-name players to a country like Australia, irrespective of who is hot at the moment. You, you mentioned China's hot. They pay big money. But at that time of Alessandro, we had the MLS that was throwing around some big money. So I think at any one time, there's always going to be one or two markets that are throwing uh, big chunks of money. And it's very easy for people to criticise players taking money. Put yourself in their shoes. You've got a window of opportunity to capitalise on your career. And if you can get $10 million a year where you're used to getting a million dollars, I think most humans would take that. Now, the reality is the way you sell Australia to a Dwight York, uh, a Shinji Ono, an Alessandro Del Piero, you can't make it about money. Because if you make it purely about money, more than likely you'll lose. Mm -hmm. So it's getting to understand a little bit about who you're talking to what are their family pressures? What do they want to do with their lives? And then, in some cases, Australia then becomes very, very attractive. If it's purely a money uh, debate, a money discussion, we're going to lose. So that's the reality. Right. Yeah. Are there any big names over the years that you thought you had a chance of getting but kind of fell through that might not have been reported? Well, we had David Beckham very, very close oh. to, to coming out to play in Australia. Mm -hmm. Um, just before he signed to play for PSG. Wow. Which club? Can we say? <laughs> no, you can't say. I'd probably prefer not to okay. say, but I can I can tell you that wow. uh, this was the same weekend that David Gallup, if you go through Google, uh, you'll find uh, that that was leaked uh, okay. by the FFA, and that was when David Gallup had just started. Yeah. Now, um, that would have been a great acquisition for for the game here, mm. and he... He knew Australia because he'd been out here. And again, it goes back to the argument about money. Sometimes if people understand and can be made to understand a little bit about more about the market here, mm -hmm. then we can we can overcome some of the financial uh, obstacles. But there have been uh, a few others. Uh, we came very close to signing Giorgio Karagounis, yep. uh, captain of Greece. He That was very, very close. And I, that was one that I really 
you know, when I look back, that was one that I really regret didn't mm. happen because uh, especially here in Melbourne, I think the Greek community would have really uh, been pumped about that and victory would have, uh, I think, would have had uh, be, uh, a lot of fans coming through the gates that uh, may not have uh, uh, otherwise have come. Yeah. Switching track to the complete opposite end of the spectrum uh, when it comes to kids and youth development, is the A-League doing enough to promote and develop youth? What and you know what what needs to change if not? Uh, and should Victory have a quota? I think just on that as well. Players. I think Adam Peacock may have tweeted this afternoon that uh, on the weekends games three teenagers played. Yeah, so it's pretty. In, uh, oh, look, I, I don't think that the responsibility r- can rest solely with an A League club. I mean, at the end of the day, their business is is to fill the stadium and to win games. That's the remit of any club mm. doesn't matter whether it's Santos in Brazil or Liverpool in England or Melbourne victory in Melbourne the reality is uh, their core business is about winning games and if they can promote uh, some players through the mix uh, and develop first team players that's great in terms of taking it to a broader audience and you know worrying about the next uh, 12 year old who becomes a 14 year old who becomes a future soccer that's not in their remit that should be that, that really rests with the National Federation, uh, the Institute of Sport, which no longer exists, and other vehicles. I think the reality is if a club does a good job in running its own affairs, then the youth will come through that anyway. Okay? By extension. Yeah. By extension. Okay, I mean, yeah. if you go back to pick, pick Mark Viduka, one of Australia's greatest exports. I mean, Mark Viduka played junior football for his beloved Melbourne Knights. Mm. He didn't move from Melbourne Knights to some other club because, um, you know, the, 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 the some elite program or some academy. He was happy at his club. He loved his club. His family loved it. There was camaraderie. There was a community belief in that. And whether it's predominantly because of the Croatian community, it doesn't really matter. If you're out in Bandura with no ethnic uh, backgrounds and if kids are happy, parents should be leaving the kids at that club the f- football as we know it today, there's a tendency for kids in to be moving around every year mm. because some program is supposed to be better and is going to fast-track their careers. It's a load of rubbish. The best development a kid can do is just to play with his mates and play at the same club year in, year out and come up through the ranks. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think we had a, a question similar to that with, uh, in particular, Sebastian Pasquale, one of the great prodigies of, uh, of Australian football in the most, you know... Like in recent times, recent yeah. Years. Uh, we were kind of thinking, did he do the right thing in terms of you know, going overseas when he did? And how, how, I guess, from a perspective of a manager, how do you advise someone like that? And we have seen so many occasions as well where kids have gone over at 16, 17, and they may have, you know, the, the, the stats don't show, but they may have been playing A-League, uh, but instead they go sit on a bench in, in Europe and, or uh, in a youth setup, even, and they come back with a tail between their legs five, five, six years later with uh, with their career stagnated. What's what's that like from a perspective of a manager? What do you advise a kid like that? Uh, look, I don't have a big stable of players. I yeah. my my business model, uh, I I don't um, subscribe to. It's, it's I've got to be careful how I say this because it, it, it's a bit conflicted. But the reality is, is that. The A-League has been really good for certain aspects of the football industry. Mm -hmm. At the same time, 
one could say it's not been very good for the development of footballers for our national team. Mm. And that is because a lot of these players get into the youth teams and then uh, they're on the periphery of the A-League team and they're here and they they feel as if they've already made it before they've actually made it. Whereas pre-A-League, our best youngsters got to a stage as quickly as they could. They would head overseas if they were good enough. And what happened is, is that's what gave us our golden generation. Okay, and even before the golden generation, uh, our pioneers like uh, uh, Eddie Krinchevich, you know, Graham Arnold even, so Kevin Musket, some of these boys that went over because they played NSL, but they knew that for them to go to the next level, they had to go overseas. Mm. What the A-League has done, has done many good things, but from a youth development point of view, it's created this, this degree of comfort. People don't have to leave home anymore mm-hmm. to further their careers, and... I'm not saying for or against whether playing A-League is the best for someone's career. I just believe that if you're good enough, you'll, you'll, you'll keep moving up the ranks. Mm. Now, everything is cyclical. Maybe the timing of our current crop of players is just a poor time in our history. Uh, it happens in every sport. I mean, if you look at our... Wallabies, if you look at our cricket team, if you look at our NRL, uh, we don't have an Australian team dominating world sport like we did maybe 10 years ago. I think it's cyclical. I think it's also a reflection of society in Australia. We're a middle-class country. I mean, kids paying $2,000 to play a sport like soccer is really terrible in my, in my, in my view. I mean, football is a working-class sport all around the world. Uh, we've become very robotic in in some of the programs like the National uh, Skills Acquisition and all these Dutch systems that we've implemented the last 10 years. Um, you know, I, I've heard coaches talk about, you know, kids being able to do the beep test and um, having a great vertical leap. But does that mean then a Messi or a Maradona wouldn't have made it in Australia because they're too short. Mm. They're not fast enough. <laughs> so what are what are we putting the emphasis on? Is it skills? Is it uh, is it athleticism? Is it uh, or is it just being able to play football? Yeah. And with our pricing structure in junior football today, it's a worry. Um, it's it's a real worry. Interestingly, you may have seen when the Americans failed to qualify a couple of weeks ago, the criticism that was heaped upon themselves internally and one of the things that came out was is that kids are paying it's a middle-class sport and kids are paying to play you look at every other country in the world they don't do that yeah, you know not, not to the extent not to the extent it's that like we do with uh, Oz kick in the Aussie rules free. sphere yeah they next basically free. pay nothing for it yeah, yeah. correct yeah. Expansion is a hot topic. Everyone's got an opinion on expansion. Surely you do as well. Absolutely. Luke. We have we have a we have robust discussions probably once every few months about this, uh, especially in particular uh, in reference to the national second division. I think the the main question we ask and Tony Ising, who we had on uh, a few months ago as well, kind of asked this question: Where's the money coming from? As someone who probably has a greater knowledge of this than most people, is it feasible? Is there money to warrant a second division or even expansion? Okay, well, there's there's probably three components to your question. Mm. First of all, let's talk strictly A-League. Mm. Um, should there be expansion? Absolutely. We should get to 14 teams as quickly as possible mm. in a managed process. The reality is it's stale at the moment. Mm. 
there are there are a lot of people who still haven't hung their colours to any particular club. Uh, I think there are big swathes of population in uh, in and around Australia that uh, would welcome the opportunity to follow a new club. Um, that has to be carefully managed. What you don't want to do is introduce a third team into Melbourne, for instance, and cannibalise Melbourne Victory. Okay, so yeah. Melbourne Victory is our flagship club, so we need to protect their supporter base. So opening a, another club on their doorstep would be suicidal, but there are big chunks of uh, out of Melbourne that uh, could have a million, a million and a half people in their threshold uh, within a certain radius that may be able to sustain another club. And that goes for Sydney as well. That goes for other parts of Australia. So from an expansion point of view, as long as you're not can- cannibalising the existing 10 clubs, I'm all for expansion. In terms of a second division, I'm all for a second division. I think that some of the numbers that have been bandied about um, in terms of an entry point are, are probably going to be way above what those clubs can afford. Um, but I, I suppose it's like building a house. You need to build your foundations. And if, you fa- if your A-League is not yet fully sustainable, let, remember that out of taking aside victory over the course of the A-League, most other clubs lose money year in, year out. Victory is the exception. So if you take the 10-team A-League as a foundation of a house, how do you build a second story on that if the foundation's not right? So I'd like to see the A-League clubs get their business to a break-even sooner rather than later. And expansion may actually help that because what it does is it gives them opportunities for more rivalries, more derbies, um, more sponsorship dollars. But again, it has to be managed. A second division, in principle, absolutely. Once the, the, the first division, or what we yep. call the A-League. So I'll put you on the spot. You're in charge tomorrow, starting tomorrow, of the FFA. What are the two areas in Australia that you'd target? Victoria, number one, absolutely. And so it's another all about team the people? Fish where the fish are? Well, you do. You, you need that. You need... You know, it's very romantic to to have the idea of having another team in Perth and another team in Adelaide. I, I'd love to see that because I think that there, there'd be some great rivalries. But um, you've got to also remember there are certain cities in Australia that don't have a CBD like what we have in Sydney and Melbourne. What I mean by a CBD is we don't have national and international offices and businesses uh, that are ultimate sponsors of sport. So you go to a, a city like Perth, and you might have a handful of publicly listed companies uh, on the stock exchange that, that are based in Perth, and even less in Adelaide. So you start a second team, where do you get your sponsorship from? You might get some fans, but where are you going to get the corporate dollars to fill your corporate boxes and major in front of shirt? So uh, it's a romantic notion to have a second team in those cities, uh, but I think that the cities that can sustain that is definitely Melbourne in the right spot. And again, I, I put a fuzzy warm blanket around victory not to damage what you've already got so like okay. the southeast which has been southeast about. southwest whatever yep. whatever is not going to impact on the victory right okay um i think sydney has some areas that there could be some expansion i think this is going to sound a bit crazy but i think that the gold coast was a premature uh admission into the A-League and it was a premature omission from the A-League, meaning that that was just the wrong time and the wrong circumstances to do it 
And I think that at some point down the track, whether it's now, whether it's three years, five years, eight years, uh, a city that's growing as quickly as the Gold Coast um, could house an A-League team. That's interesting because you're an AFL man as well. Absolutely. And the the Gold Coast AFL team aren't doing that well. It just seems like a bit of a graveyard at the moment. So you think it it might actually be okay eventually? Well, the thing is, I spend a lot of time up on the Gold Coast. We have our conference up there and you'd be surprised at how strong... um, grassroots soccer is up there. Yeah. I say soccer is distinct from football, right. but we're talking about our mm. football now. It, there are some really vibrant uh, grassroots clubs up there. Um, look, if it's not the Gold Coast, it could be Logan, halfway yeah. between the Gold Coast and Brisbane. Mm-hmm. The reality is is that if you look at our cities in Australia, we have a very big geographical expanse to all our yeah. cities. So somewhere in that corridor, there is potentially, but you can't do that when you've got Brisbane Raw playing at Suncorp in front of Uh, a quarter capacity okay so the stadiums now this is another angle to our argument that we could bring into it but i want to go back to my three points the 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 glaring omission and you haven't asked me is about promotion relegation yeah (laughs) okay so i'm going to bring that up yeah and i'm absolutely hardcore adamant about this promotion relegation i'm a purist i'm a soccer purist i follow football soccer around the world and promotion relegation works in Australia, it would be a dismal disaster for two reasons. Yes. One, the A-League clubs that have been admitted have, ad- have been admitted where their owners have got long-term licences and have spent, you know, by the time all things are said and done, tens of tens of million dollars per club. I mean, Tony Sage is a wealthy businessman, but he's not a he's not a mega millionaire. It's, I've heard numbers like thirty. $35 million out of his pocket to keep the glory going. And it's easy for people to, to throw mud at him or knock him and say someone could do it better. But the reality is no one's stumped up the money he has. You, you bring a second team in or promotion relegation, just can't work. We tried that in the NSL. A lot of people that follow soccer today in Australia are newcomers to the sport and may not understand that we had promotion relegation. And what we ended up with is over a period of time, because of the money that I was talking about earlier, geographically, we're going to end up with eight teams in Sydney and eight teams in Melbourne if we had promotion relegation. Eastern Seaboard League. Correct. So you can't have that. And who's turning up to Central Coast when they're in the second division, like relegated? That's right. It's hard hard to fathom how that would work. It's funny how that topic obviously elicits so much talk in Australian football, uh, Joe Gorman's book recently hmm. uh, talked about the impossibility of it in, in, in the similar yeah. vein that you are. Yeah. Um, but basically, it, it's a financial thing, but it's a cultural thing as well. The Australian rules, top flight, has all the money in the world, but they would never even bother to entertain that kind can't of possibility. Yeah. Look, it can't, as I said, I'm a purist, Yeah. I'm a football romantic. I love the idea of – I love watching the FA Cup where you see these little clubs oh, so good, uh, yeah. climb the, uh, you know, and, and beat the top guys. And I love seeing the, you know, some of the teams in the League One, League Two. I mean, you have you had last year, I think it was Sheffield United in League One who got promoted and now sitting up near the top of the championship. So theoretically, they could be in the EPL next, next year. It's great, yeah. but it can't work here. You've got, a, you've got countries like Italy, France, Germany, uh, England – Okay, that are the hotbeds of world soccer, they all fit into the size of Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> Our geographical <laughs> limitations uh, really impact on how we could run the game in this country. 
And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my way Before we move into the next uh, stage of the podcast We'll do a few tidbits on uh, a few A-League matters uh, The sticker interview cut out about three minutes before it was due to finish um, But we got a pretty good part of it um, but yeah, the uh, the memory card which is attached to the recorder stopped halfway through. Well, not halfway through, with about three minutes to go. So apologies for that, but uh, you got the general gist of the interview, which is really good. Um, he was a really good good guy and uh, great to have him on, and uh, yeah, gave us a lot. Yeah, really generous with his time and really friendly with us, and uh, yeah, loved his office too. Loved the, the yeah, it's football great. memorabilia. Lots of stuff. About. It was great. I love the photo of him and Arnie. I'm not too sure if you saw that one. I did see it. Yeah, yeah. that real? Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger. That is the sort of, per- like, I'd love a photo with Arnie. Yeah, of course. Uh, a few A-League tidbits uh, that we'll discuss um, before finishing up the podcast. The W-League season starts this weekend. Does anyone know anything about this? Uh, uh, only because I saw a bit of the Fox Sports Sunday shootout last night and they had the the captain of Melbourne City, she was on. Yeah. Goes all right. And Ned Zalich's W League knowledge was mind-blowing. Mm. Absolutely uh, mind-blowing. We're going to try and probably uh, get someone from the Women's League or Women's Team for Melbourne Victory on the show in the next couple of weeks. Um, so, we're, yeah, we're trying to uh, branch out and speak a little bit about the women's game and also heavily get involved in the youth as well. So, we'll uh, hopefully bring some stuff to you in the, in the next few weeks regarding that one. Yeah, one of the things that Lou talked about was the fact that Currently, a lot of our national teams in the men's domain are all, you know, struggling a little bit, but not the Matildas. Yeah. Um, I, look, I've recently watched quite a few Matildas games, and it's just amazing uh, to see the progress. And they're world beaters at the moment. And if you haven't already jumped on, jump on board. Mm. I saw a Sam Kern Nike ad yesterday on the TV. Mm-hmm. Um, it's she's going to be the star. She's going to be the star of the summer. Uh. You've got Honduras qualifiers here, but we can talk about that next week because uh, it's the week after. That was Dave. That, that was put Dave. Them in. These are Dave's little tidbits. Honduras qualifiers are after, week after. But yeah, we'll talk yeah, about that yeah. in a second. Um, apparently, Ange Postacoglu is announcing his intentions tonight on ABC. Oh. Yeah, so by the time this actually goes to air and by mm. the time you are all downloading and listening to it, the Australian Story segment featuring Ange Postacoglu mm. will have already aired or might be airing while you're listening to this or what have you, but... Um, it's a bit of a weird one, isn't it? Going on ABC uh, to sort of give a State of the Union kind of yeah. thing. Um, I'm really unsure. Hope he about resigns. <laughs> now, Dave, there is uh, some murmurings going around the A League land that Western Sydney Wanderers, who are recently without a coach in uh, in Tony Popovich, are looking to uh, to poach. Paul Ocon from Central Coast Mariners. So Western Sydney have denied that this is the case. Um, but it makes sense. Well, people is. deny things, but they always uh, yeah, seem yeah. to have a bit of truth in them. Ocon, you know, is one of the hottest properties going around. Like, um, 
if you watched the Mariners up against Perth mm-hmm. last night, uh, pretty good account of themselves and were a bit unlucky, ran out, ran out of puff and we actually play them this yeah. week. So we'll, we'll talk about that. But um, yeah, look, um, maybe if these things are happening in the background, it affects the Central mm. Coast sort of, of chemistry. Well, yeah. they, were pretty, they were pretty impressive against Western Sydney Wanderers a week ago. So short mm. window there for Ocon. Uh, now, Ronald Vargas copped a injury. I, didn't, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard oh. gruesome things. Uh, I've, I'm a big NBA fan. It might be similar to the Gordon Haywood injury during yeah, the week. I didn't see it. I heard all about it. I won't watch it. Yeah. I watched the Haywood one, and that's enough of uh, yeah, that leg, that's enough leg bending for me for the week. Mm. I did see Ernie Merrick was almost in tears uh, talking about it in the post-match presser. Yeah. So. It yeah. sucks for Ernie because those guys are doing very, very well. He's put in the work, and it was paying dividends a second on the table at the moment. On paper, yeah, exactly. On paper, Ronald Vargas was, to me, probably the greatest import for yeah. this season. And he's shown some amazing signs in these first couple of games. And it is tragic. It re- it's tragic for the league. It's tragic for Newcastle. He won't play again this season. Well, I'd say it's um, probably his time done in the A-League. Probably. And I wonder how much of this is, you know, um, it's bad for the A-League in terms of, you know, South American players be seeing that, you know, and wondering... Geez, do I want to come to Australia where I'm going to get my leg broken by Matt Mackay? Mm. Yeah, physical league in Australia. Not blaming Matt Mackay, but, you know, that was a scenario where it was a 50-50 ball to go for it and Matt Mackay did what Matt Mackay does. Matt Mackay probably fucking got up and started complaining or winning straight after. (laughs) To be fair to Matt Mackay, um, he actually stood around and was, you know, visibly concerned and all of that, Mm. but... um, yeah, look, there's not much else to be said other than that it's tragic and, yeah, I just, yeah, still can't get the vision out of my head. Yeah. And the final piece of tidbit uh, discussion is Pierce Warring. Uh, scored a hat-trick in the National uh, Youth, or pre-season, pre-season yeah, National Youth game against City on the weekend, so a pretty big statement for him. Yeah, well, we mentioned Kenny Athew and whether or not, um, you know, he would start to make his presence felt on the first team. Mm. Warring was the guy that, you know, was seen to be the backup to Barisha. Big statement from Pierce to uh, score a hat trick against the highly fancied youth setup of City. Yeah, good form. So uh, yeah, that's encouraging. And as as I mentioned before, we're going to be hopefully delving into the national youth setup, um, especially as Melbourne Victory is concerned in the next few weeks. Um, hopefully, we get some decent access to coaches and maybe a few players and stuff like that to get get um, into the the uh, nitty gritty of the youth setup at Melbourne Victory. We'll leave it there. Um, If you are a Patreon subscriber, you'll be getting extra content because we'll be previewing the Central Coast game uh, in a few moments' time. And uh, if you are not on there at the moment, you can jump on still patreon.com slash for fuck's sake. Um, You can contribute as little as a dollar per episode and you'll get some extra content, which will be hopefully rolling out not just this week, but also in in weeks to come. So for the moment, boys, thanks for, for coming on. We'll see you next week. Thank you very much, Jason. Thanks, Jason. No worries. I'm on the back. Come on.